Hello, and welcome to the Smarketing Podcast, where we take a deep dive with our incredible alumni to talk all things marketing and their career paths with a Simon spin. This is brought to you from University of Rochester Simon Business School Marketing Association. I'm your host, Jenna Callen. Let's talk smarketing. Thank you for coming to another episode of Smarketing. We are joined by Mike Alcazarin, a product manager at Amazon, um, who's also moonlighting as the CEO of Amazon until Jeff picks a replacement. So trying my best here. You're doing thank you, thank you for so having well. me. We're so excited. So we've introduced you. Do you want to give a quick bio of yourself before we jump into the questions? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, hey folks, my name is Mike Alcazarin, as Jenna said. Super excited to be here. Um, I'm a Simon MBA from 2019. Um, a little bit about myself. I studied aerospace and mechanical engineering, um, went to university at Buffalo, born and raised in here in upstate New York. After undergrad, I spent some time in the defense industry. I realized that moved way too slow for my liking, so I actually switched over to the software industry. I worked for a software company called Autodesk, uh, essentially integrating software into educational curriculums across the Northeast. In between that, I actually started my own company called Canary Drones. I'm super passionate about sustainability and technology. And I um, definitely had the engineer's mentality where if you build it, they will come. And (laughs) Canary Drones was a really, uh, it was a really big realization for me that you also need to have a marketing and business strategy to go along with that. You can't just build that. Customers won't appear out of nowhere. Um, and that was really the inspiration for me to go to business school. Um, so yeah, came back to the you know upstate New York area and pursued my MBA starting in 2017, um, where I concentrated in entrepreneurship and finance. I ended up interning for um, Amazon as a senior product manager intern, uh, working on the Amazon Dash button and decided to return full-time to Amazon in Seattle as a senior product manager within Amazon devices. And that's where I am today. And so I currently lead the go-to-market strategy for Amazon Alexa hardware and software products. So the the most recent product launch that I had was the Alexa Energy Dashboard. So it's really cool. I don't know how I lucked out and got into this role where I got to touch on sustainability. Um, because I was actually, you know, working pretty closely with the sustainability team with, uh, you know, a whole huge cross-functional team to launch this dashboard that can help customers track and manage the energy that they use in their homes um, for smart home devices. So you go to the, the app and you can see how much, you know, energy that your lights are, are using, for example. Um, and we can send you some really cool tips on how to start reducing your energy consumption. So it, it's really, really cool. And I feel super lucky to to be working on projects like that. So it's been a, a good post MBA experience. That is a fantastic little capsulation of yourself. Um, and I'm so glad that you got to touch on sustainability. I didn't know that was your most recent project. Yeah, it, it's been super exciting. It's, um, you know, cause I, I, I don't know if it's me just like wishing all of that <laughs> good vibes into, <laughs> in, you know, just into, into existence. But um, yeah, like I didn't get to pick where specifically I went to at Amazon, I did get to choose like a priority ranking of, you know, where I wanted to be. And it was definitely back with the Amazon devices team. Um, and so I and yeah, ended up on the go-to-market smart home team. So yeah, super exciting, especially with like Amazon scale, like making a small change for like millions of customers can save a ton of energy. And it's really cool. Like the levers that you can pull. I think that's what excites me the most. 
Oh, that's fascinating. I do need to know for all of the people out there, does Alexa listen to me all the time? <laughs> no. Okay, thank you. But I do love it. She's become a really big part of my kitchen dance parties, my kitchen timers. She and I are friends, especially in the pandemic. Like, I can't really see people, but I can see her. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's super interesting because, like, every time we have, like, a um, like a weekly review, we're always bringing in, you know, customer anecdotes. And Amazon, like, for the folks that don't know, has the 14 leadership principles, which is what really drives the, the culture and also decision-making. And one of the leadership principles is customer obsession. And that is, I think... You know, I don't think anyone will ever say that there's a stack rank of the leadership principles, but customer obsession always seems to be number one, rightly so, because customers are, right. you know, always unhappy. <laughs> so you're always trying to make sure to, um, I mean, it's, like, it's, it's kind of like they're beautifully unhappy. And so you're always striving to hit this like bar for customers and improving them, improving the experience for them. So I think it's an interesting approach. But anyways, like we, in our team meetings, we're always bringing through these customer anecdotes of, uh, you know, seeing our products uh, in action and pulling through stories. Like I know there was a story with one of our new products called Alexa um, Guard, Guard Plus, where it actually uh, is essentially a security system for your home and it can help provide different services. Like if it detects a glass break, um, it can actually call um, emergency services. And there was a, a a case where, not a case, but um, a story where someone had a house fire and uh, was actually able to use the service to, to be safe. So it was really cool to like see that anecdote come through and like um, all of our coworkers that have been working super hard on stuff like that to, to see that um, pull through. It's amazing. Do you get excited when you see Alexas in people's homes? Totally. I, I think lately I've gotten more excited when I go to like Home Depot's or Lowe's or Best Buy or any like retailer and um, actually I've been going to Kohl's a lot and I had not okay. gone, to, gone to Kohl's before because of the Amazon returns. It's um, so nice. Like, right. Oh my God. Yeah. So I, I was it. yeah returning all of my, you know, stuff that I thought I needed, but didn't actually need at Kohl's. And it's really cool to see the, um, to see your work like live. So we have like the, um, uh, different offline fixtures. Like you can see right when you're checking out at Kohl's and Henrietta, um, you can see the, uh, different echoes that are that you can play with like as you're waiting in line so that to me is like the coolest part um and it's always funny to like even working at amazon like everyone has like echoes um throughout the home so if someone says alexa and your alexa is not on like the no voice you just hear like alexa going off in the background so it's oh, um it's a bit of a funny problem to to have of muting alexa you do have to. I hadn't even considered the Kohl's aspect of it. Yours is obviously much larger scale, but when I would see people pick up my products in a Wegmans, I would just lose it. I'm like, do you like that? And like, you can't be the creep in a Wegmans talking to someone else about their product without divulging what you do. So I'd have to casually be like, should I buy that? I haven't tried it yet. Just to be like, oh my God, what do people <laughs> actually think about it? Do they like it? But yes, I cried the first time I saw my product on a shelf and yours totally. is just on like a much larger, way cooler scale than beef jerky. Well, no knocking against Wegmans. I'll still text you photos if whenever I see beef jerky at Wegmans. <laughs> I get is, very excited. That is awesome. <laughs> it makes me so happy. My, I think, final product just launched and I bought it because it was chocolate covered rice cakes. And that is a story for offline about how those came to be. But it was a very long, weird product manager journey to get those out there. So go buy them. I love um, it. I will. I'm sold. Thank you. 
So we've learned a lot about what you do now, but, and a little bit about what you did before. Why did you pick Simon? And there's no wrong answer. I tell people they're totally allowed to say that they threw a lot of money at you. But if you have reasons outside of massive amounts of money being thrown at you, we want to hear it. Yeah, no, for sure. I think what really sold me was the experience Simon Weekends. Like I was looking for, I only applied to three schools and what I was looking for in a school was, you know, very heavily analytical because I wanted a continuation of my engineering background. I know that uh, for better or for worse, most engineers, if not all engineers, we had a bit of like a superiority complex um, in undergrad where it's like, oh, like business major, like why would you ever study business? But it's like, it's super important. And so, <laughs> People like you. <laughs> I was a business major for those who don't know me. <laughs> so I, I wanted to be able to uh, continue that and just like have like a truly like analytical approach and quantitative approach. I was also looking at just the fit of a school and Simon just fit so perfectly with me. Like I grew up in Buffalo, so I was always aware of University of Rochester, but at the time, like when I was applying, I was actually living in Boston and looking at schools like um, in the Northeast and you know, Simon presented like a really awesome experience. Like out of all the schools that I applied to, I really felt at home, like from the admissions to the staff, to the faculty, to the students, to the alumni, it was just really an amazing community. And I love that. Like nowhere else did I get like a personalized experience and felt like I could actually be, be at home in the school. So that's what really drove me there. And um, all of like the added bonuses of like being close to home definitely helped. Um, great scholarship opportunities through scholarship weekend, and also um, the ability for you to be a leader. So I think it's, um, I forget which Malcolm Gladwell book it is, but it's talking about, you know, being a, you know, finding the right size pond for you as a fish. So like, do you want to be like a, a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond? And um, I, I think that Simon gives you a really awesome opportunity because it's such a small school of a, you know, 100 ish students that you can become a leader. And I definitely took that to the fullest advantage where I didn't say no to anything. And I um, took every single coffee chat that I, I could, um, but it just helped me really shape up. To, it really helped shape an amazing experience for me. So that's my long story long of why I chose Simon and not in a non-concise way. No, that was perfect. That's what people want to hear. So you chose Simon, you come to Simon, it's great. What was your favorite class or any classes or professors that you think people should absolutely not miss? Totally. Um, Dennis Kessler is hands down my favorite professor. Um, he, I forget his actual class name, but it was- New Venture? Um, yeah, New Venture Development, thank you. And it's just so good. Like Dennis just has an amazing personality. He's willing to grab coffee with you and chat. And I, um, my long-term goal is, to, is still with an entrepreneurship. I would love to start another clean technology company and hearing his advice about how to even frame like my first experience at Canary Drones and how I was thinking of it as a failure. And he's like, hey, you know, this is just the tuition that you pay. Fa sorry, failure is just the tuition that you pay for future success. Um, and so I Ooh, love I it. I love that. It's so good, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And so it just made me realize that, you know, I made some mistakes before. So like, let's not forget those mistakes. Let's, you know, continue to, to learn and to, to, to grow from that. So really just, you know, crystallizing that growth mindset with, with Professor Kessler. Um, in terms of favorite classes that I took, 
I think some of my favorites were the um, excursions that we took. So I did the South Africa track and I also did the um, Israel track. <laughs> um, Jen is giving the, the sad face. So sorry for um, bringing that oh, up during okay. COVID. <laughs> okay. Keep talking. We'll have to do an alumni one, you know, just get an yes. alumni. But like without the classes and all of the fun part. Exactly. It's just a trip. <laughs> just a trip. I think everyone, it's, what is it, February 2021 right now. So everyone's just you know, itching very much after 11 months of quarantine to, to go out and about. I would go to um, Nebraska and treat it like Bali. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Said no one ever, <laughs> except for someone that was in an 11 month quarantine. <laughs> um, I totally hear you. But in, t- in terms of like the classes, those were super interesting because especially the one in South Africa, because, you know, growing up in Buffalo, I saw like a city that definitely had its like ups and downs to put it, you know, in a very easy, nice terms, but, you know, any Rust Belt city has gone through that and in the US, um, any of the Great Lakes where it's just boomed and then it just fell like from Rochester where you had like the Codex and Xeroxes and now, you know, Rochester has had to reinvent itself with like innovation and um, the schools and the health system Um, and same thing for Buffalo. And so the class in South Africa was looking at gentrification in Johannesburg and there was this area called Mobbing that uh, was just devastated of like it had like a higher um per capita murder rate than like rio than the favelas in rio de janeiro um in a very dangerous area but essentially what would happen it was we actually got to talk to this uh some of the entrepreneurs that started investing in the area and at first it started with like the art community and they were start they were able to like work with the the local people that were living there to actually give them equity so like instead of just purchasing this opportunity, purchasing a large building with a large investor, they actually let, you know, all the local people invest into the the building. So that they were incentivized to stay there and to grow like in that investment um, and sustain that, uh, sustain that gentrification. And then even like some of like the, the laws for like labor were, were, was that it had to be like, if you wanted to work there, you actually had to live within a certain radius um, or it hit like a certain quota. So it was a percentage of like people that were living there. So it was super interesting to to see that. And, and I think the class culminated in us presenting to um, Rochester city council about like our findings, which is really cool. And then our former Dean Ainsley was also um, on the, on the track. So it was great to get his insights into, um, into South Africa, the the country as a whole. But those are the two that, that stand out as like professor Dennis Kessler and his new venture development class. And then the South Africa track, I'm sure there's um, like, I, I, I think if you want like a, an academic answer, it would definitely be the uh, market research class with uh, Professor Mitch Lovett, because um, I use that every day in my current job as a senior product manager here at Amazon of like diving into the data. Like uh, I did my first conjoint about six or seven months ago, and it was really cool to like talk to like the research team and like actually know what I was not actually know what I was talking about, but because um, they're the experts, but being able to like hold my own and like, you know, make sure that we had the right data that we were pulling from that. And, and then, and like, also like the anecdote from that class specifically was, what was it that Professor Lovett said? The value of information. So are you, because you can always get more data, but do you have enough data to make the decision that you actually need to? And so I think about that a lot of like, hey, we have 80% of the data. That's enough to make a decision. Let's just go for it. So that is another rambling answer. I'm very talky today. So no, those are all great. Um, I think I was the only class that did not get Mitch Lovett from market research. Um, I had him really? for another class. He comes up in every single podcast interview. 
as either a best <laughs> class or a best professor. And I am interviewing him tonight for marketing. I love it. That's amazing. It's just a little, yeah. Um, Mike actually is who convinced me to go to Simon. I've been told in these podcasts, I don't include enough of my personality. So we're testing it on yours. And I just Perfect. want people to know that you convinced me to come to Simon. And I know that you convinced a lot of people, but it really worked on me. And I'm it. hoping this podcast convinces many more people to go as well, because you sold me in like a 30 minute conversation at Brew across For the sure. from campus. Like you did a little bit during scholarship weekend, but then... I think I reached out to you for something and we set up coffee and I put down my deposit in the car right after that. I love that story. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to be convinced and hopefully you, well, hopefully you've liked your experience and uh, mm-hmm. have no regrets and that I haven't, you know, tricked you into, maybe this is like some, some final thing. It's like you convinced me and now is my time for revenge, but no, I'm super glad no. that you, you came. You convinced me it worked beautifully. It was during scholarship weekend. We had a small group conversation and then, I got my answer about money, like how much more I got Monday morning. I had coffee with you that afternoon and I pulled out my credit card and put down a deposit there in the car before I drove back to work. I love it. And then it, I remember that then we met up again because you were working, um, and I don't know if you can say it, but you're working on a new product launch at Wegmans. Yes, and so we I, can because it's out. Perfect. <laughs> and I was super excited to get some beef jerky, <laughs> specifically Biltong. Um, which is a South African style uh, beef jerky. I wouldn't even call it beef jerky because it's a disgrace to Biltong to call it beef jerky. It is a meat delicacy. It is. And that is something I fell in love with when I went to South Africa. So full circle on the South Africa trek. It all comes back to that. Um, Mike also brought me Biltong he made. We met in a Starbucks across from my office. (laughs) Yeah, no, Simon is a much better community than I would say any other business school. I think we can say that, right? Yeah. We're both. Yeah, for sure. You're alumni. I'm a student. We can say that it's the best business school and any perspective that's listening needs to know that Simon is Absolutely. the best life choice you can make. A- anecdote of two, Jenna and Mike have qualified this as the best business school. Is that enough information <laughs> according to Mitch Levitt to make a decision? I think that's the 80-20 rule. It's, it scratches that for me. <laughs> it does for me too. Okay. Enough of that rambling. I hope people enjoyed that diatribe as well. Um, is there anything else you're working on like at work that you can share with us? I know it's hard with proprietary stuff, but is there anything you can tell us that you are excited about? Any products you want us to buy to really help your numbers? <laughs> so definitely buy any Alexa enabled device. All of them. All of them. No, I, I can't say much, um, but I'm, I'm super excited for some of the products that we have um, you know, coming out. Um, I, I think like from a, like a work perspective, for me, it's been super exciting to work at Amazon to just learn from uh, like everyone, like all of my coworkers are really amazing. They're super driven um, and super sharp. And so I've been able to learn a ridiculous amount over the past, you know, nearly two years that I've been here, um, like from all my coworkers and even just like getting the exposure to, to leadership has been amazing you know, if you're sitting in like a review with like our VP or SVP uh, or whomever that you're, you're, you're in a leadership review with, you start to pick up things on like how they lead and the questions that they ask. And it's always amazing um, for the, for also for folks that don't know about Amazon, the, uh, we don't have, do PowerPoint presentations, which is very like anti-business school. <laughs> um, it's just not anti-business school, but it's like, it flips it on its head where it's like, it's um we do six page white papers. So we write down, um, everything that we need to present in one concise paper. So 
instead of, you know, sitting and talking through the first 30 minutes of a presentation, or maybe even the full hour, you actually spend the first 20 minutes in silence, everyone's reading the paper, and then you go like high level, high level feedback, and then page by page feedback. So it's always funny when you're in a leadership review, because the question that you didn't want answered, or didn't want asked, like this, the, all the leaders at Amazon, they can just short circuit that and say, well, what about this? And you're like, ah, oh, that's the one part that we weren't 100% sure oh, on. Wow. And it's, it's amazing that their ability to, to do that. And a lot of it has to do with frameworks of just like, you know, seeing this repetitive uh, repetition over and over again, and building those reps with skills. But yeah, I, I think like, I know it's not really a direct answer to your question of like, what am I excited oh, about? No, like, it's totally a, fine from a product perspective, but from like the like learning perspective and like internal culture, it's definitely been really exciting. And my hypothesis on why Amazon's been able to like sustain its success and also scale so well is because of the writing culture, where if I need to get someone up to speed, I can send them like four or five documents and they have like all the information they don't need to like, maybe not all the information, but you have like the majority of information that you need to, um, to move forward with that specific like project or like whatever you're working on. Um, and there's like not really any ambiguity because <laughs> it's like, it was written down and this is like, this is what we're going to do. So yeah, TLDR, uh, it's been a really good learning experience and um, yeah. And just super, super exciting for me. Well, okay. To flip that on its head then, do you have a favorite failure or embarrassing moment you're willing to share? I love when people are just honest about that stuff because I think I know, like, especially for me, I had huge imposter syndrome coming to Simon and I definitely still do at times. You're like, these people never fail. They're great. And so I personally love people's flop moments. Totally. I um, appreciate that because I think it's uh, definitely makes people more real. And so you're not just putting people on a pedestal because it's like, you know, everyone struggles and has those times where you're like, man, that really, really sucks. (laughs) I think like a no real big ones like at work, thankfully. Um, Congrats to you. <laughs> but you know, at least at least recently within the past like year and a half. I mean, definitely like some stumbling blocks where it's like I have like a like you know great leadership team and they're all like super empathetic. So like it's been less of like a management decisions, more of like a coaching opportunity where if like hey like if you know you forgot to do something or if you um, if something was really weak, it's more of like hey like let's, um, you know, Hey, this is what you could do better next time. And make let's, let's figure out a way, way forward for it. Um, but I think my biggest failure and the one that I'm actually most excited for and still think about a lot is just back in 2016, when I started my company that just failed. I mean, my, I started it with my really good friend, Derek, we met through this group called engineers for sustainable world, um, at a conference. Like I was at university at Buffalo. He was at UC San Diego and we had a annual conference every year. And him and I just like hit it off. Like we just like became really good friends and we're both similar personalities. We like very driven and we wanted to solve a problem with sustainability. And also we have this entrepreneurship itch where we're always like trying to like not wheel and deal, but just like think of like, how can we like make a, make money out of this? And so we wanted to combine those and start, ended up starting the company. And it was a really good exercise. It was really hard. We, I was based in Boston. He was based in California and a three hour time difference. And we were moonlighting at the time. Like I still had my full-time job at, you know, Raytheon and then at Autodesk. And it was crazy, like working until like 12 o'clock, one o'clock at night um, and trying to like make decisions for all of this. But we ended up like 
yeah, the company was called Canary Drones. We were de developing a disease, developing a way to, to detect disease before the human eye in vineyards. So you basically fly a drone over crops and you can see which crop has a disease based off of how much photosynthesis is occurring at the, at the plant level. Sounds really cool, very sci-fi. Um, it turns out that we weren't able to do that fast enough for farmers um, early, or detect disease early enough for farmers. Um, and so there, the, like the business case wasn't there. So that was just my, big, my biggest failure because we spent, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars of our each of our own money. And so it was kind of painful when you like wipe out all of your savings for this idea. Um, so but I learned so much from it. Like it also like put me on this journey and also gave me like a really powerful story to tell um, when I, you know, even when I interviewed at Amazon, when I interviewed at Simon to get in, when I um, and I just it shapes like how I think about, you know, just moving for these decisions of like making sure that I have customers to, to buy whatever I'm, you know, making before I actually go down the rabbit hole of all this development. So that is like the failure that I'm most proud of. And I've reframed it thanks to yeah. Professor Kessler. So where it's tuition, not failure. It is. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I know that's not a fun question to answer, but I think it's a really important one for people to hear too. Like we spent this whole time hearing about all of your successes and these great things. We got to humanize you a little bit. Um, I will let Next you up end. are my weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> have no weaknesses. <laughs> uh, we'll let you end on a fun question then. Okay. What is your all-time favorite Buffalo Bills game day memory? Ooh, my all-time favorite Buffalo Bills game day me memory. So I had season tickets for just about 10 years um, starting in high school. So I used to go to this, like the Bills games in high school with my friend Matt Stavell and Matt and I would get to go for free because you could, if you hand out the game day programs, you would get um, free access or free entry. I don't know if they're still doing that. I don't even know how we did that. He just like asked me one day because we were both in orchestra together. He's like, hey, like, do you want to go to the Bills games for free? I'm like, yes, absolutely. Yeah, what a dumb question, of course. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that is like, I think I have like a journey of Bills games. Like, And this is like the, when the Bills were, I mean, historically bad for like a, a good section of time between 2004 and 2014. Um, but I don't know if I have one specific memory. There's all these like very painful memories. Like I remember being in the rock pile for the Browns bills three to six game, just very, very rough. I also remember my freshman year of undergrad where I had a calculus two exam and I failed it miserably because it was a Tuesday morning and the Monday before I was at the Dallas Cowboys Buffalo bills game. And that was one of the biggest heartbreaks I've ever seen, um, you know, in person. But I think just like, if I had to sum up like my favorite single moment, I don't think there is one. I think it's just like that feeling of waking up early on a Sunday, um, tailgating with your closest friends, like feeling that excitement of just like, we're at the Bills game, that's all that matters. And then just watching some great football. And I've just loved my seats where it was at the end zone where I got to, um, I used to play football like in high school. So I got to see like the plays forming and I love that, that view and just like that whole like encapsulation. Actually, wait, now I'm rambling, but I'm remembering <laughs> even earlier, my favorite, I was, cause I was just okay. talking to my brother about this. My favorite Buffalo Bills memory in person is my brother and I went to, and my dad, we went to the Buffalo Bills versus Miami Dolphins snow game in like 1998 or seven. It, like, I can't remember, but Drew Bledsoe was a quarterback, uh, Peerless Price and Eric Moulds, and they both had hundred yard games and they both had like these amazing, like 80, I think Ricky Williams was also the running back. He had like these crazy long runs, um, but it was just like a, an offensive, like <laughs> amazing offensive game. And also 
um, just like it was snowing. I think it snowed like three to five inches during the game. So we were like covered in snow. Um, so it was like the perfect like Buffalo game. And so another thing outside of sustainability that I'm very passionate about are the Buffalo Bills. So that was a very, very um, pointed question, Chenna. So mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah, I figured I'd give you a fun one after that. Okay, so we definitely need a Simon alumni game at the Bills too, because I did not get to go last year and there wasn't one this year. So I- We have I to missed. make it happen. Yeah, my advice to everyone is if you wanna to go to the game, don't have a pandemic and don't flip your car two days before the game. <laughs> Those are my only two pieces of advice if you come to Simon. Outside of that, do you. I love it. Well, this was fantastic. I'm so glad we got to have you on. Totally. Well, thank you for having me and more than happy um, to ramble on a little bit more. And uh, yeah, for, for anyone that wants to like reach out to me, feel free to, you know, get in contact on, I don't know, like most podcasters would say like my Twitter, Instagram or whatever, but um, yeah, feel free to reach out to, uh, to Simon and they can connect you with me. You can also find me on social media at all the places that you would like to. And also I would like to plug my podcast. Um, I have a weekly podcast called Product Explained where my really good friend Jeff and I, we dive into uh, some of the strategies and stories behind some of today's biggest tech companies. It is good. You beat me to plugging that. Um, I listen to it while I work out or run, which becomes like an oddly intimate experience. And it's just your voice in my ears <laughs> as I'm like running, having my me time. But it's great. It's a really interesting podcast. They have fascinating episodes. So I will make sure that that is included in the little like bio description of your episode when it launches. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. This is great. You have just listened to another episode of Smarketing brought to you by the University of Rochester Simon MBA program. On behalf of everyone here at Simon, we appreciate you joining us and we'll see you next time.